Welcome to Archiving AK, a podcast of the Archives and Special Collections at the UAA APU Consortium Library in Anchorage, Alaska. We're here to talk about what we do, what our researchers are up to, and to give you a closer look at the world of archives. This is Arlene. I'm one of the two archivists here at the Consortium Library. We're celebrating Archives Month, October 2021, by rebooting our podcast and recording and releasing two to three podcasts each week throughout the month. In this fifth episode of the podcast this month, I'm talking with Desiree Ramirez of Wrangell St. Elias National Park and Preserve and Alyssa Gardner and Chris Warner of the Great Basin Institute. We cover a lot of ground, geographically and intellectually, in this podcast, so I'll get out of the way and switch over to the introductions. Hi, my name is Chris Warner. I am Director of Development for the Great Basin Institute based in Reno, Nevada. And hi, I'm Melissa Gardner, and I'm a Research Associate Program Coordinator with the Great Basin Institute based in Las Vegas, Nevada. My name is Desiree Ramirez. I'm the Museum Specialist at Wrangell St. Elias National Park and Preserve. Great. Thank you all. So since we started out with the Great Basin folks, um, people might be saying, what's the Alaska Connect for Great Basin? So tell us a little bit about Great Basin and what it is you do. Yeah, thanks, Arlene. <clears throat> so Great Basin Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Uh, we were founded in 1999 at the University of Nevada, Reno, um, by our uh, current and only executive director, Jerry Keir. <laughs> he developed the institute with a colleague from the biology department. He was an environmental literature PhD candidate to provide an opportunity for UNR students to uh, apply the skills, the knowledge, the experience they were learning in the classroom and in the laboratory in a real world setting. Um, State of Nevada is anywhere from 88 to 90% public land. So we had a huge laboratory essentially to work with. And so um, 20 plus years ago, the Institute was a field studies organization. We carry that mission of education and professional development forward. Um, over the years, we've developed a number of different service programs, ranging from our field studies and visitor services programming to a conservation core um, and our individual placement program or research associate program, which uh, 15 years ago consisted of a small handful of interns today, uh, all based in the state of Nevada, I might add. Today, um, we boast about 150 to 200 research associates annually working in um, 10 different Western states, including the great state of Alaska. Wow. I didn't realize you were that big. That's just really impressive. So since you started it, we'll segue on in. Tell us a little bit about some of the Alaska projects you have going on. Um, so I can jump on that one. Okay. Uh, this is Alyssa. So you know, we, of course, we have the project with uh, Desiree here, so I'll leave that one to uh, her to discuss. Uh, but we do have a few additional projects going on up in Alaska. Um, another project specifically focused on archives with the Alaska Regional Office and the National Park Service. The original project was looking at 420 linear feet of archival material to go through, so rehousing storing collections, you know, falling within those Park Service standards. 
And then I believe we, there's an additional project with that that's looking at uh, 150 additional linear feet. Um, that's a lot of material. <laughs> <laughs> I I just, I'm just doing the math. <laughs> Holy moly, that's that's a challenge. Yeah. And then the other the other projects we have currently going on are in partnership with the Fish and Wildlife Service up at the Alaska Regional Office. One that is pretty relevant to this topic is working with an archaeological collection, also in partnership with the University of Alaska Anchorage. So that's an archaeological collection that is from a site called Periwinkle Mound. And that consists of 30 boxes of sea mammal and fish bone that this uh, person is working through. Mm. So uh, kind of an interesting project. And then we have a few other projects going on that are more on the communication side of things. Um, So we have a public affairs and communications specialist research associate working out of the regional office. And we also have a climate communication specialist uh, research associate. So more focused on public affairs, outreach, developing different products for, um, you know, audiovisual projects, electronic communications. So they're managing social media platforms as well. One very specifically looking at things related to climate change and uh, migratory bird impacts. Okay, now this brings up a question for me because you start, Great Basin started out primarily as finding a place for you and our students. But so who's, who's eligible to get jobs like this through Great Basin? Who is, who is eligible to go for these research associate positions? Is it still limited to, to university students? Alyssa, please feel free to chime in. No, the, the short answer, Arlene, is no. Um, we, <laughs> recruit, we recruit nationally for all of the positions that we advertise. And, and one thing that we really try hard to do is advertise each individual opportunity so that we can highlight its uniqueness in terms of scope of work, but also the skill set that we're looking for. So for, for the position that project that we're working with Desiree on, we will, we will write up a position description and post it far and wide and look for the best candidate for that particular position. And if a particular archival collection was focused more on photographs than it, or maps, then you know, another resource, we would try to find someone who perhaps was had a particular interest in that field. Gotcha. Um, it, in the case of the project with the Fish and Wildlife Service in the university, we're actually hiring, I believe Alyssa, it's a graduate student. Is that correct? Or undergraduate? To, to, do, to do the work. Um, mm-hmm. So they will be you know, going to school while simultaneously working on, on this particular project. Okay. So Great Basin has really just expanded beyond the immediate kind of academic student experience then, if I'm following. That's correct. I mean, one of the things that's helped our organization to grow is we're trying to find projects, support projects that our mission and that is to do you know science-based sometimes landscape level projects and we want to work with individuals who also share that that same desire so much of the work that we are doing in the archival world has come through project partner to project partner communications and Mm -hmm. 
you know, Desiree, you may be able to speak to this some, but the, re the real truth is our, our work in Alaska actually started at Yosemite National Park. They had, the re they had the resources and the space and some GBI research associates and accepted a collection from Glacier Bay National Park, which was processed at the facilities in Yosemite and then returned to Glacier Bay when it was completed. So, you know, that then led to individuals at Glacier Bay understanding what kind of experience they could have partnering with Great Basin Institute. You know, it must be a small circle in the archival world because we have <laughs> folks <laughs> at multiple parks in, in the Intermountain region of the Park Service in Zion, Bryce Canyon, Yellowstone, at the Chaco Cultural Heritage Site in New Mexico, all spread by word of mouth. You know, when I got started with this organization, I, I had in my mind that we were focused on natural resources, and I've learned a lot working in this position that we've expanded a great deal to cultural resources. So the archival projects are a big part of that, but we also have a variety of projects with museum curation, research librarians, historians, tons of archeologists. Uh, so it's really exciting. It is. That's a pretty broad variety of things to manage too. Over at Wrangell St. Elias National Park and Preserve, we have about 800,000 records that are stored here and at our regional office in Anchorage. As a staff of one or a lone arranger, I tend to focus on data management and research requests. This does not leave a lot of time to process our backlog collection. So the partnership with Great Basin Institute is an amazing opportunity to showcase our collections that usually do not see the light out of the basement. The archive specialists will be working on three different collections, the aerial photograph collections, our oversized maps and drawings, and our historian's records. There's a few different outcomes we're looking forward to this. One of them is processing 75 linear feet of records, creating a finding aid for these records that will go online for students, community members, and outside researchers to access, and also working on outreach and education for our collections. The GBI archive specialists will participate in year one of this three-year project. Each position will last 12 weeks. So, okay, each position will last 12 weeks. Tell me a little bit about um, the content of your materials. I mean, Wrangell St. Elias is a very large space with a lot of things going on of, of the materials that you have. Year one, we will focus on the aerial photograph collections, which cover all across the park from the 50s until believe the 90s, um, but we haven't processed that whole collection yet. So the date range is to be determined. Our overall collection, it tends to focus on material that was created after we became a national park in 1980. Okay. That's usually what National Park Service collections are. They're collections that relate to the park's creation and the reports that 
employees generate and different documents. Mm -hmm. We also have the Kennecott Copper Corporation records. Those are stored at our regional office in Anchorage. Oh, I didn't know that. That's good to know. All right. Mm -hmm. Data point for our next researchers that come in asking. (laughs) Yes, definitely. And the archive specialist with GBI will be focusing on our collections here in Copper Center. Our collections also, we get a lot of researchers that come into the park that generate collections and, you know, study small animals like bulls or birds or insects, uh, archaeology, and they will go back to their home repository and study that material and then generate reports that come into the archival collection. Okay. Okay. So, Now, I'm kind of curious because, you know, everybody in Alaska or everybody in Anchorage, not everybody in Alaska, obviously tends to assume Anchorage is kind of the center of the Alaskan universe, which it decidedly is not. Even though I live here, I know that very well. Um, Do you find that you get researchers actually coming to the park to do research in the records that you hold there? Is that is that a thing that you have happening? I mean, you said you do reference. So are all of those virtual? (laughs) We do have researchers that come in to the collections. I just got a call yesterday of someone who's going to be planning a visit in the next few months. So we are open to research requests. I try to help facilitate researchers virtually as much as I can. But as I said earlier, I'm a staff of one. So I'm pretty spread out then. Um, But I, I do help researchers as much as I can try to find their information they're looking for, because that's my favorite part of the job is working with researchers. They help me find little gems and hidden treasures in the collection that I never would have discovered. Right. Oh, you are so right. Yeah, I. we're a staff of two and we do everything. So I, I totally understand where you are coming from. Yeah. Working with researchers is really a highlight of the the job because they get to delve deeper into the records than we ever do. (laughs) That's great. So tell me a little bit about this upcoming project. You, you talked about kind of the scope of the, the GBI partnership that you have upcoming. Is this something that you're going to be hiring in the next year, this year, one of three, when is this, when does this all kick in? Ironically, we will be hiring the position to start in January of 2022, amidst all the snow and ice, um, but for very good reason, and that's because housing is available during <laughs> the older, darker months of the of the winter. Um, and, oh, and you know, Wrangell St. Elias is the banana belt of Alaska. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but in all seriousness, it is one of the things that we consider when, when recruiting for individuals to, to work up in Alaska is that, um, especially for these longer-term positions, this one happens to be three months. Some of the others that, that Alyssa mentioned you know, will run a year, and we want to make sure that we have individuals who either already understand or recognize that it's a long, dark, cold winter. A glorious summer, albeit <laughs> short, but that's an important component of of what we at GBI are doing when trying to find the right person for the, for the job. It's not all about credentials. Right. Do you typically then, because a three month gig is maybe for an established archivist, not that's scary. That's really kind of scary. It's not something I'm sure I would walk away from my job for three months or walk away from my job at all to take something on like that is, do you find that, that most of your applicant pool are 
people kind of starting out in the profession or retirees in some cases. Who do who do you kind of see that go for these these relatively short term jobs? I was going to defer to Alyssa's because she does a lot more of the recruitment <laughs> for at this point. Yeah. So I think what you said is on point for these shorter term jobs. They tend to be a little bit more entry level. So people looking at the, building their career in the early stages, or you know maybe they just haven't dipped their toes in a particular kind of collection or site that they're really interested in working at. So we get some variety, but yeah, I'd say for the shorter term ones, they, they tend to be a little bit more um, early career. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's good because it's sometimes hard to get early career experience without volunteering. And if housing comes <laughs> along with it, so much the better. <laughs> that, does make, that does make that decision a little easier. I want to add to the discussion about outcomes that Desiree made earlier. Oh, okay. So I think for Great Basin Institute, you know, one of the outcomes from the partnerships that, that we enter into and, and for the more specifically the research associates we hire um, is to hopefully prepare them for a career in civil service, potentially with the agency that they're working with. But I think the other thing that I've learned over my 15 plus years with GBI is that a number of people have walked away saying that is not the career for me, or I cannot work within a bureaucracy and would rather go to an NGO or to a museum in this case. And, and I think that's a really valuable opportunity that, you know, even a three month position can open your eyes to. Right. Yeah. You know, we don't often talk about the value of these kinds of, of things for that purpose, but it's really true. And if it's best to discover that before you either just, you know, commit yourself to a long-term position or even potentially, you know, go into thousands upon thousands of dollars of graduate school debt to get a degree in a field that you think, you know, maybe I want to go somewhere else with this. (laughs) It doesn't mean you can't do good work while you're there, but it might be that teaching experience to say, all right, that was interesting, but I want to go this way or some, there may be some aspect of it that you really then decide that you kind of want to hammer home in. Hey, Alyssa, without putting you on the spot, can you speak to the success of conversion from RA to agency positions? Because I think that would be a good thing to highlight. I'll give it a shot. Sure. So yeah, in the context of outcomes, because we partner with so many federal land management agency type positions, and a lot of times it might be the goal for a research associate or another sort of program member participating in our programs, to ultimately have those kinds of positions, which can be difficult to come by, difficult to navigate uh, the federal hiring system, (laughs) Um, as you probably well know. So, you know, but we've had a lot of success in that realm, and we do kind of call them our GBI success stories. When folks are able to move on from a position with us into a federal position, and it happens quite a bit. It's happened countless times since I um, started my position about three years ago, working with research associates. And there's, you know, a great advantage underlying one for just working at these public land site and getting familiar with the systems. And then there's also some opportunities depending on our project agreements to get hiring authorities, which might help folks move into these roles. Gotcha. That's wonderful. So with the upcoming ones at 
Bengal St. Elias you're planning to hire in January. Is that what I heard you say? That's coming up. Um, yes. Where do people find out more if they're interested in, in a project like this? How do they find out where, where the jobs are? I can speak to that as well. So our website is just uh, www.thegreatbasininstitute.org has the the in front, which <laughs> throws people off. <laughs> I'll be sure to put that on the, the, the site with the podcast so people can <laughs> click directly on it. So, so you know, of course, we, we list our jobs on our own internal job board there and try our best to start posting positions at least a few months out if we, you know, have all the information available. And we also post our jobs externally. So you might see us on job boards like Texas A&M, conservation job boards are two major ones for positions within the archival world or other kind of cultural resources type positions. Uh, we expand to other job boards. So you might see us out there, but you can always find our listed positions on the Great Basin Institute's website. Okay, that's good. And I will encourage you as a side note, because it's run by a friend of mine, to consider Archives Gig and getting the word out to the woman who runs Archives Gig out of the University of Wisconsin. I do believe that's on our list. Oh, good, good. probably better utilize it. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, it is, it is currently one of is probably the preeminent site for finding archives jobs. I mean, it's it's what most people I know consult if they're looking. Is there anything you really want to highlight still that we haven't talked about, Desiree? Is there anything specific to what you're, you've got going on um, in terms of your materials that you want to say, hey, look, we have this really cool stuff? I started this position in 2017, so I've mostly just been trying to stay above water and <laughs> make sure all of our annual reporting documents are completed in a timely manner and loan agreements. And so I'm really hoping that this partnership allows us to share more of the collection and that we will be able to highlight different aspects of it and share it with community members and get that education out there. So that's what I'm looking forward to is that next year when we you know, talk to you about year two of this project, we will be yes. able to show highlights that have come out of our partnership with GBI. Oh, and I love the concept of a follow-up in about a year. I think I am on for that. Uh, that's a great idea. Sign me up. Your partnerships in Alaska, and, and are your partnerships really kind of federal government agency focused, or are you, uh, do you work with NGOs on projects? Yeah, thanks for the question, Arlene. And I mean, historically, they have been predominantly federal agency land, ma land and water management partners, mm -hmm. but that's largely because they have the deepest pockets. <laughs> um, but we, we absolutely love to support and work with uh, fellow NGOs of any size, state agencies, local agencies, you know, we're, we're getting into grant writing more and more, you know, sometimes we can serve as a recipient for a, a grant that a state agency isn't eligible for, or only only a NGO is eligible for. Um, we're broadening our partnership, especially in the Sierra Nevada mountains, um, with a lot of the, the confederated tribes, um, mm -hmm. and doing tribal consultation and trying to um, you know give opportunities to tribal youth. That's another thing that I think your your listening audience might be interested in. But right. no, we don't limit who we can or will partner with. Okay. No, that's really good to hear. 
you've got me thinking now, (laughs) 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 which is always a dangerous thing. It's like, oh, where could we go with this? I absolutely want to give you the opportunities to really, if there's anything else you want to push out there, please let's, let's get it on tape. And an idea based on what you had said about the audience and internally, we host these monthly networking sessions for program members that are all about professional development. Mm. And we often have uh, speakers who are our current project partners or formerly worked for GBI in the programs and they share professional development tips or um, some guidance in their specific fields. I That's actually really tips. attractive because I think one of the one of the generic difficulties with kind of entry level or short term positions is very often you don't get those professional development opportunities. So I think that really adds to the value. Of, of taking on something like this. It, it's hard to make connections, especially in small institutions and connections that will take you forward. So that's a wonderful aspect of that. I really like to, I, I love to hear that that's a piece of it. Okay, now maybe I do kind of want to take three months off and go to work for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was kind of thinking maybe turn that background on Desiree, if you have any tips for early professionals and archivists or early archivists. The way I got into profession was just wanting to go to a beautiful place that gave me a little bit of money and housing. And that's (laughs) actually how I got my first archives position at Yosemite National Park, working on their backlog collection. So I just got really lucky. Um, One thing that I did want to add to any person who's interested in this position, but a little bit worried about coming out here in January during winter, you know, we do get negative degree days, <laughs> but we also have a wonderful ski trail around our office. We have a little ski club that meets at lunchtime and we go get an hour uh, exercise in as a group. And the community here is wonderful. That That's why I'm still here. You know, we're all we all work really well together and everyone's supportive. And if you're coming out here, you want to be here. And so people are willing to help you make it through whatever you're going through so that you can make it to the beautiful spring and see the sunshine again. So that's a Californian talking, you know, there are people who do like winter. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm not one of them, but (laughs) I've also been here for 18 years because you're absolutely right. That's, that's kind of what happens is, is there's really strong communities of support because there is this kind of assumption of remoteness of cold of things like that. And elements of that are certainly true, but, but the company makes up for it, doesn't it? Definitely. And it's a lot brighter than you would think during, (laughs) even in the nighttime because of all the snow, it reflects the moon and the stars. And so it's a lot brighter than you would expect here during winter. Well, and you get probably beautiful Aurora views because you don't have the city lights mucking out the distance. Yes. Auroras were gorgeous this whole past winter. It was very special. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) I get jealous, Alyssa and Chris. I'm so jealous. We don't have that in Las Vegas. <laughs> and all of my trips to Alaska have been in the summer, so I've failed to be able to stay up late enough, even if there was activity. 
We'll look for your application, Arlene. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm serious. I'm going to start watching. It's like I have vacation time coming. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that I have 12 weeks of vacation time coming, but that's really wonderful. I. It's so cool that you all are doing this. Um, thank you for Desiree for being one of the people who's willing to host one of these positions and. Thank you, Alyssa and Chris, for being a part of making this an opportunity. It's really hard to get experience in the field, and it's really hard to get jobs in Alaska sometimes, especially for people who want to be in Alaska. And it's hard for Alaskans to sometimes hire. So to have somebody who has some skills and has some knowledge coming into the field, you know, I try to hire entry level when I can. You know, it's it's nice to know somebody would be coming in really kind of understanding some of the landscape. And there's there's not a ton of people in Alaska that have that combination of both the education and the experience. So so you're you're potentially building people who can maybe someday if the hiring freeze is ever lifted at the university that I might be able to hire, which is exciting, too. Absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you to Desiree, Alyssa, and Chris for taking the time to teach me about all the amazing things they're doing. On the podcast page on our website, archives.consortiumlibrary.org, you'll find links to the Wrangell St. Elias National Park and Preserve, the Great Basin Institute, and that job opening we talked about. Thanks to all of you who are listening. We appreciate your support. Be sure to keep an eye on our podcast page to catch up on other episodes and for the podcast we will be releasing throughout the month of October.